Shalom to all. Today's office is Rosh Hashanah. We are starting 10 lines from the top at the two dots. And today's office is sponsored Lili Nishmas, Maris Miriam, Sarah Basar, Yaakov Maisha, Hernes Shalom should have an Olio, and Lili Nishmas, Rabbi Yachmiel, Mordechai, Ben Rabchaim, his Nishalom should have an Olio. And the Mishnah said, Kate Sanohi Masir Masuas, Mavin, Klunsai, Shal Eres. And we learned in the Mishnah about the mountaintop torch waving procession that took place to notify everyone when Rosh Chaydish was. The Mishnah described what the torches looked like, beginning with the fact that they were long cedarwood poles. Now the Gemara says, Amrav Yehuda, Dalimina, Razanhain, there's actually four types of Eres. Eres, Kasraim, Eitz Shemen, and Varush. And now we're going to try to understand what these are. Kasraim, Amarav, he says, that's Adra. And the Bayer of Shila, Amri, he says, Mavliga. And Va'amri La, Zu Golmesh, some say it's Golmesh. And Uplika, the Rabbi Ravhuna, this is an argument with Rabbi Ravhuna. The Amar Rabbi Ravhuna, Arbe Rav, they said in Bismarish of Rav, Asar Minar Razamheim, there's actually 10 types of Erez. Shinemar the Pasuk says, Etain Ba Midbar, I'm going to place in the Midbar, Erez, Shita, Vahadas, Vaitz Shemen, and Asam Barav, I'm going to place in the desert, Barush, Tidhar, Usa Ashur, Yachtov, all together. So now we're going to understand what these are. Erez is Arza, that's cedar wood. Shita is Tornisa, which is pine. Hadas is Asa, regular Hadasim that we shake with our Lulav. Eitz Shemin, what's that? A fire Samoa, that's balsam wood. Barush is Barasa, which is boxwood. Tidhar is Shaga, which is fir, F-I-R. Sa'ashur is Shravina, which we don't know what that is. So the Gemara asks, Hani Shivahafu, that's only seven, that's not ten. The Gemara answers, Ki Asaravdimi, Amar, he said, Hisifa Alayim, they added on another three. Alainim, Almainim, and Almaigim. Alainim, what's that? Butmi, that's elm trees. Almainim is Baluti, that's oak. And Almaigim is Kisisa, that's coral, that's in the bottom of the ocean. And the reason why we're calling it a tree is because it grows in tree-like formations. And Ikadamri, some say that the three that were added on were Arainim, Armainim, and Almaigim, which is Arainim, that's Are, that's laurels. Armainim is Dulvi, which is chestnut. And Almaigim is Kasisa, which we said is coral. And now once we mention coral, we're going to talk about that. But see Adr Loyaviranu, the Pasuk says, a mighty ship cannot cross it. This is referring to the stream of water that's going to emerge from the Kedush Kedashim and eventually become a raging river that even a mighty ship can't cross. And what's this mighty ship that we're talking about? Amarav, he says, Zuburni Gedaila, this is talking about a large Borni type of ship, and Hechi Avdu, what was it used for? How was it used? It was used to harvest coral from the bottom of the ocean, and how is it that we did that? They would bring 6,000 men and hire them for 12 months. Ramilan, some say, they would take 12,000 men for 6 months. They would load up this ship with sand until it would settle on the ocean floor, and we're talking about where it's very shallow in the ocean, that's where coral grows, so it's very shallow, and the top of the ship was still sticking out of the ocean. And then a diver would go down. The cutter atuni de kisana bikista. He would tie flax ropes, which are very strong and don't tear easily. He would tie it to the coral. The cutter luhubas finta. And then he would tie the other end to the ship. Then they would take the sand, the shadu libray, and they'd throw it out of the ship. And as the ship got lighter, so it would start rising. The kamat medallion. As the ship rises, akra umasya, it would uproot this coral. It would tear it out of the bottom of the ocean and bring it to the surface. And this coral was so expensive, umachlef al chad train bechaspa, that they were able to trade one part for two parts silver. And Tlas Parvasa Havion, there were three ports, Tarti Be'armai, Vachad de Be'parsai. Two were in the Arameans' territory, some say it was the Romans' territory, and one was in the Persians' territory. Their Be'armai, the one in the Arameans' territory, Maskin Kasisa, they would harvest coral from there, and the Be'parsai, the one that was in the Persians' territory, Maskin Marginiasa, they would harvest pearls from there. And in Makaryo, it was called Parvasa de Mashmehig, the port of the kingdom. And once we had this Pasuk that mentioned all these types of trees, and one of them was the Shita tree, which is the pine tree, we have a drush about that. Amar Yechen, he says, Kol Shita Shita, Every pine tree that the Gaim took from Yushalayim when they destroyed the Beis Hamikdash, Hashem is going to bring that back to Yushalayim. Shnamar says, Atain ba Midbar Erez Shita. I'm going to bring to the Midbar Erez and Shita. Have ain Midbar El Yushalayim. Midbar is referring to Yushalayim. Shnamar says in the pasuk, Tzion Midbar Hayasa. Tzion has become a Midbar, and Tzion is referring to Yushalayim. And from Rabbi Yechon, he says, Call Malamda. Someone who learns Torah but he doesn't teach it, Daimel Hadas Midbar. He's like a Hadas in the Midbar. A Hadas is something that has a wonderful fragrance, but if it's out in the Midbar, so there's 
there's no one to benefit from it. Someone who learns Tyra and he teaches in a place where there's no midbar, he's like a hadas in the midbar, the chaviv, that's very precious. If a person's going in the midbar and all of a sudden he finds a hadas, so he loves it and it's very precious to him. He says, They have no way to rectify what they did by killing Talmud Chachamim and killing Yidin. Shanabar the Pasuk says, In place of the copper that the Gaim stole, I'm going to have them bring gold, says Hashem. In place of the iron that they stole, I'm going to have them bring silver. And in place of the wood that they took, I'm going to have them bring copper. In place of the stones that they took, I'm going to have them bring iron. In place of Rabbi Kiva and his friends that they killed, what can we bring to replace them? We can't do anything to replace them. And about them, it says, I will cleanse them from their sins, but all the blood that they spilled by killing terrorist scholars and the like, that is not going to be able to be cleansed. And the Mishnah said, So the Mishnah told us that the torch waving stopped at Beis Baltin, and the fellow there waved his torch all about until the entire Gaila was lit up like a Maduras Eish. So now the Gemara asks, My Beis Baltin, what is Beis Baltin? Amarav, he says, This is a place called Biram, and it was at the edge of Eretz Yisrael. And my Gaila, what does the Mishnah mean when it talks about Gaila? It talks about the diaspora. Amarav Yesvi says, Zu Pompadisa, it's specifically referring to the city of Pompadisa. And my Maduras Eish, what does that mean? He waves it about until he sees all of Gaila lit up like a Maduras Eish, like a bonfire. Tana, wave a Brysa, call Every person in Pompadisa, when he saw the person in base Baltin waving his torch, he would take his own torch and he would go to the top of his roof and wave it about. So that means that the person in base Baltin, he looked at Pompadisa and he saw a whole bunch of torches being waved about. And that's what the Mishnah means when it says, Kemaduras Eish. And Tanya, wave a Brysa, Rabshem, Benalazar, he tells us, The messengers with torches even went to these mountains. Some say Benu Beni Havakami that these mountains were actually in between the mountains that we mentioned in our Mishnah, and Ikadamri some say Lahach Gisu Darts Yisrael Havakami that they were actually on the other side of Eretz Yisrael. Marchash of the High Gisa, Marchash of the High Gisa, and the Mandom of our Mishnah is just talking about the messengers going to one side of Eretz Yisrael, and the Mandom of this Bryce is talking about messengers going to the other side. And Amar Biyachin he says Ben Kol Achas VeAchas, and between each of the mountains mentioned in our Mishnah, Shmoyna Parsais, there's eight Parsais. Kama Havluhu, so all together, how many Parsais are there from Har Mishcha, from Har Zesim, all the way till Beis Baltin? That's Tlos and Vatartin, 32 Parsais. As the Gemara of Aha we know that there's way more than 32 Parsais from Harazesim all the way till Beis Baltin. So Amr he answers, no, it's not a problem. It's that Tumi Estatim Darki, that the roads have been blocked, so therefore it's a much longer journey. You're right. If you took a drone and flew it from Harazesim directly to Beis Baltin, it would be 32 Parsais. But since the roads are blocked and the route is circuitous, it's much more than 32 Parsais. How do we know that the direct roads were blocked? It says in the Pasuk, Lachain, therefore, Hinini Sachas Darkech Basirim, I'm going to place thorns all along your path. And Rav Nachum or Yitzchak he says, Mehacha, we learn from a different Pasuk, Tichsibet says, Nisi Vaisai Iva, he twisted my paths. And more about the procedure of Kedesh HaChaydash. The Mishnah says, Chasar Gedaila Haisib Yushalayim, there was a large courtyard in Yushalayim, Ubeis Yazik Haisa Nikras, and it was called Beis Yazik. Ulasham Kala Edim Iskansim, and over there, all the Edim that left their Tchum on Shabbos, in order to be able to give Edis about Kedesh HaChaydash, they would be gathered into this courtyard. Ubeis Din Baitkin Haisam Sham, and Bezin would interrogate them, that would ask them all their questions over there in that courtyard. And they would make huge sudas, huge feasts for them, so they should be accustomed to coming because they know there's going to be a lot of good food over there. Now, Barishina originally, they weren't allowed to leave that courtyard the entire day, meaning the entire Shabbos. Why is that? We know that if a person leaves their Tchum on Shabbos, they're not allowed to move more than four Amos from where they are. These Edim, even though they were allowed to leave their Tchum in order to testify, they still were confined to the courtyard for the remainder of Shabbos. But then, Hiskin Rabbi Gamliel Hazakin Rabbi Gamliel Hazakin, he established Shayum Halchin Alpayim Amal Chorach, that they're allowed to go 2,000 Amos in all directions, meaning they're just considered like residents of Yerushalayim and they have a regular Tchum Shabbos. And it's not only these that are given this heter. Even a chachama, a midwife that left her city, went to a different 
city to help a woman give birth on Shabbos. If someone came to save people from a fire, or from invaders, or from a flooding river, or from a collapsed building, and they left their tchum and they went to a different city to do this service, they're like the people of that city that they went to, and they have 2,000 amas in all directions. And now the Gemara asks about the real name of this courtyard. Is it called Beis Yazik with an ayin? Or is it without an ayin? Beis Yazik Tanan, if it was with an ayin, so that has very positive connotations. The Chesavit says in the Pasuk, and he ringed it with a fence, and he removed the stones from it, and therefore this courtyard has a positive connotation to it that's surrounded with a fence, and therefore protects the people that are inside. I don't want Beis Yazik Tanan, perhaps it's Beis Yazik without an ayin, it has a negative connotation, it's a lotion of discomfort. The Chesavit says in the Pasuk, and he's bound in chains, and the reason why I would have this negative connotation is because they were stuck there the whole Shabbos. Amr Bai, he says, Tashma, we had said in our Mishnah, that they would make these huge feasts there. So it must be that it has a positive connotation because who doesn't want to go to a place that has really good food? The Gemara says, that's not a riot because perhaps it had both of those feelings. It has a very positive connotation because there was a lot of good food and a lot of big sudas. However, it also had this negative connotation because they were stuck there for the whole Shabbos until Ram Gamaliel Hazakin came along. And more about Kedesh HaKadosh. Ketan Edem. How exactly would they interrogate the Edem? What would they do? What was the procedure? So Zogshabar Rishan Baitkin Rishan, the first pair of Edim that came, so they got checked, they got asked the questions first. First come, first serve. They would take the older of the two Edim. Again, we have to separate these Edim. We can't ask them questions together. And they would ask him the following. Tell us, how did you see the moon? How did the new moon look? How high was it on the horizon? And to which direction was it leaning? How wide was it? So if he says it was so he didn't say anything because that's not possible. And we're going to understand all this in the Gemara. And after they interrogate him, they would bring in the second aid and they would ask him the questions. And it turns out they said the same thing. Everything matches up. So we can keep their edos and we don't need any other edim. So what do we do with the other edim? All the other pairs that came, we asked them some very basic questions. Not because we actually need their edos. That's what they shouldn't leave all disappointed that they didn't get to give edos because we want them to come back and if we just send them away without anything so then they're not going to come back next time at least if we ask them basic questions they're going to feel good that they gave some sort of edos and then they'll come back next time and now before we begin this Gemara once again a full appreciation and understanding of these sugis can only really be had with accompaniment of pictures and graphs and the like alldaf.org has a wealth of helpful and descriptive information so you should really check it out over there however very briefly to try to understand as much as we can in the northern hemisphere when the sun rises in the east and sets in the west with the moon trailing behind the sun actually travels at angle tilting south. Let's take it as a given that it rises at the midpoint on the horizon and then begins its tilted arc. The closer to midday it gets, the more south it goes and as it nears the evening, it starts moving more north. For example, try this. Take off your yarmulke. Now, if it's a standard black velvet one, you're going to see a few stitching lines on it. Pick one facing you, situating it in the middle of your kippa with the line facing away from you. The left side of your kippa is south, the right is north. Now, imagine that from the base of that line where it meets the rim of your kippa, the line actually curves a little bit to the left and then halfway across, curves back towards the right, meeting up with the rim on the other side. That's the arc of the sun as it travels south until midday and then back north until sunset. So now with that basic picture in mind, the Gemara asks, These questions that we ask him, was it in front of the sun? Was it to the north of the sun? Was it behind the sun? Was it to the south of the sun? That's the same exact question. These are the same things. Why are we asking the same question twice? So Amrabah, he answers, no. We're asking him, was the indentation of the moon, meaning the inner part of the crescent of the moon, was that facing towards the sun or was that facing away from the sun, meaning was the full part of the moon, was 
was the back of the moon facing the sun. And Im Amr Chama, if he says that the crescent, the inner part of the moon, was facing the sun, he didn't say anything because that's not possible. He says, What's trying the Pasuk? Dominion and fear are with him. He makes peace in his heights. The sun never was able to see the indentation, the inner part of the crescent of the moon, or the inner part of a rainbow. The reason why it's never seen the inner part of the moon is the Chal Shadaita. That's because the moon itself is going to have Chalisha Sadas. It's going to be disheartened. Since the moon receives its light from the sun, if the sun can see the inside of the moon, that means it can see the part not lit by the sun, and the moon is going to be embarrassed as this is a reminder that it doesn't have its own source of light. And Begimasa Shalkesh is the reason why the sun can never see the inner part of a rainbow is the Loy Lame Ro'ev Dechama, so that the people that worship the sun can't say, that it's shooting arrows at the people that don't worship the sun. Remember, the inner part of the rainbow is always facing the earth. However, if it was the other way around, then the people that worship the sun could always say, it looks like the sun is shooting arrows at the people in the earth that are not worshiping the sun. Why does it look like it's shooting arrows? Because the person holding a bow always has the inner part of the bow facing themselves, and we don't want them to be able to have that ability to say that, and therefore the inner part of the rainbow is never facing the sun. We're going to stop here for the day, pick up continuing to explain this mission tomorrow. For now, everyone should have a wonderful day.